Good morning. morning. It's great to be here. Before I get into the message, I want to let you know about something called Leading Well that's starting in a few weeks' time. Uh, On your way out, you'll be offered one of these, uh, which is a little card which will give you all the details that you'd need in order to get to sign up for it. It's a course which actually I've run over, over the years a few times, and it's designed to help people who are either already leaders or and would like to grow further and be more fruitful, or you're not in leadership at the moment, but it's something that God, you think God might have for you in the future. And uh, what, what the course does is we look at what is it that makes a leader, a Christian leader, fruitful? What makes the difference? And how can we put ourselves in the way of and grow in those things in order to be as fruitful as we can um, as we serve God together? So that's what it's about. And having run the course a few times, I am very aware that he meets with people who come on the course. And uh, I'm not somebody to kind of big myself up, and I'm not doing that. What I am saying to you is that if you come, I do believe that you will hear God, you'll meet with him, and he, and he will cause you to grow and be fruitful and help you on your journey. So that's my encouragement to you. It'll be six evenings. The details are on the cards. You'll be offered it. Do take one. Ask God about it. Ask one or two other people, and uh, I look forward to seeing you there if you come. Now, last week, um, Al spoke to us And he spoke about two main elements of the Christian life, two big things. The first being the pursuit of God's presence and the fact that it's in God's presence that we find transformation. And we're all after becoming more like Jesus, aren't we? It's about transformation. It's about lives being changed. And that can happen privately and personally. Um, I think of a time when I spent quite some time actually simply lying in the presence of God all on my own and for hours and hours and hours nothing seemed to happen and right at the end when I knew I'd got to leave suddenly God spoke to me it wasn't audible but it was really clear and he said those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength and I knew in that moment that was what I needed that was what God was giving me in that time but there's another way of seeking God and that is for transformation out of being in his presence, and that is with other people, alongside others, receiving prayer and ministry in the Holy Spirit from fellow believers. And I've received that as well. And I want to encourage us that there are these two ways, but this morning, as we'll see, we're going to talk about things that are particularly relevant to the second, which is about the being in the community of God's people, a spiritual community, which is a place where we can grow, we can see breakthrough, and we can see transformation in our lives. That's pursuing God's presence. The second main thing that Al spoke about last week was about intentional Christian living, about making the deliberate choices to practice the ways of Jesus. And that is a way of introducing the series of messages and Sundays that we're launching into today, where we'll be spending quite some time looking at the ways in which Jesus teaches us and helps us to live like him and to live out his ways and the way he wants us to live our lives in serving him. There are going to be a number of themes over a number of months. And the first theme that we're going to start on today, which we'll, have, we'll look on for several weeks, is the theme of community. And there'll be some overheads that will help you to follow where we go. 
Just to note, first of all, that Jesus himself, when he came and lived on this earth, um, he grew up in a real family. And it's clear from scripture that he had quite a lot of brothers and sisters, as would have been quite common at that time. So can you just imagine in a relatively confined space of the houses that they had, um, growing family, brothers and sisters, he lived there right up to approximately the age of 30 all the time with his parents, with his siblings. Can you imagine kind of what that was like for a minute? The kind of rough and tumble, if you like, of normal family life. Brothers and sisters rubbing up against each other, quite possibly having one or two disagreements with one another. I don't know whether that ever happens in your family, but it certainly has done in mine. Um, just try to think yourself, what was the context? What situation was it where he was? They would be very close and a lot of rough and tumble. But he was also in a wider community who knew him. Now, they said later in the Gospels, uh, they thought that, that Jesus, who is, who is Joseph's son, he was known to be Joseph's son. There was a, there was a, a place in the community, if you like, that, that they recognised who he was. Now, Jesus made disciples in the context of community. He prays all night. If you know the story, you'll be familiar with it. And he chooses 12 after that night of prayer to be his particular disciples and apostles. And I'm going to read you a couple of verses from Matthew chapter 10. You don't need to turn to it, but just listen up. Here are the names of the 12 apostles. First Simon, also called Peter. Then Andrew, Peter's brother. James, son of Zebedee. John, James's brother. Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. Well, why do I read that list to you? Because if we stop and look at it and think about it for a minute, there's some really interesting things that come from it. First of all, you've got two pairs of brothers. They would have known each other really, really well. And these were kind of regular Jewish guys, those four, brought up as, as good Jewish boys in a good Jewish family. And then you've got Matthew, the tax collector. Now, Matthew was also a Jewish young man, but he was one who had kind of was, would, would have been a scene in his community to have sided with the Romans, uh, who were the occupiers of, where, of the land, because he was the tax collector on behalf of the Romans. He was like on their payroll, getting tax out of his compatriots to pass it on to their Roman governors. Can you imagine how popular he was? Not very. Did you notice also on that list was Simon the Zealot? Now, Simon the Zealot, the Zealots were actually a, a right-wing, um, freedom-fighting, terrorist kind of organisation or party who were engaging in skirmishes and literal fighting to try to find a way of releasing Israel from the occupation of the, Roman, of the Romans. Jesus has the... I think it's a sense of humour is involved with this, where he calls Matthew on the one hand, who's on Rome's payroll, and Simon the Zealot on the other, who is part of an organisation that's trying to engage in terrorism to release themselves from the occupation of Rome. And he says, come and be my disciples, come and join my group. Can you imagine the conversations, the tensions that would have existed within that 12. 
And of course, there are many differences between the others as well. But what Jesus does is he calls these people to be part of his group, his group of disciples. And we'll look a bit more about that in a moment. And he throws them together. And they got the choice of whether to follow Jesus or not. They did not get the choice of who else came with them. They got who they got. And there was huge variety and very naturally would have been big tensions between them. Does that sound to you a little bit like the church? We get the choice of following Jesus. But once we've made that choice, everything else follows. And we end up with a whole bunch of people who we haven't got a clue who they are. All sorts of different backgrounds. All sorts of different people. Different ideas. Different opinions. Different attitudes. Different personalities. Different gifts. Different families. Different cultures. And Jesus says... Come and be my church. And he throws us all together and says, okay, let's work this out. Let's be community together. And it's challenging at times. Can I just say, therefore, whatever your background is, whatever you, however you would categorize or consider yourself, there is a place for you. There are no misfits in the family of Jesus. You are all welcome. And he welcomes everyone with open arms. Matthew chapters 5 to 7 are full of the teachings of Jesus. And then in Matthew chapter 8, I'm just going to read you one verse. So again, you don't, to start with, you don't need to turn to it. Matthew 8, 18, if you're taking some notes. And it says this. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he instructed his disciples to cross to the other side of the lake. Let's stop there for a moment. Just think about this. There is a crowd listening to Jesus' teaching. And he calls the disciples out of the crowd to follow him, to go with him in a boat across a lake to get away from the crowd. He's, he's calling them to be coming out of the crowd, to distinguish themselves from being simply part of the crowd and to be disciples of Jesus. And he calls us similarly to come out of the crowd, out of the faceless crowd that it could have been, it was a big crowd, and to become part of the discipling community that Jesus is establishing on the earth today. And it's called his church. Read on verse 19. Then one of the teachers of religious law said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now that sounds a wonderful thing to say, doesn't it? What does Jesus follow it with? His reply, Foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. What a strange reply. It's like Jesus is almost trying to put him off. The guy says, I'll follow you, Jesus. And he says, do you realize it might be quite difficult? It might not be how you think it's going to be. You might not be living in a palace all the time. Whatever kind of bed of roses picture he might possibly have had, this guy that Jesus is replying to. There's a reality to that. Jesus calls for commitment. He calls for us to follow him regardless. That's the nature of his call. 
Let's read on another couple of verses. Another of his disciples said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. That kind of sounds reasonable, doesn't it? But Jesus said, follow me now. Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Oh, that's a bit sharp. Well, we need to understand, the commentators tell us that what was actually happening here was the, in that culture, a young man would have needed to have stayed living in his family context until his father died, at which point he would inherit. Um, so what the guy's saying is, let me stay for however long it is until I get my inheritance, and then I'll come and follow you. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. No, you need to put me first right now. I need to be the number one and trust me for everything else. There's a message in there, isn't there, for us. And it may even be that this morning here or listening online, watching online, that you're somebody who has been kind of putting off the day of following Jesus. And what he's saying to you today is, no, don't put it off any longer. Today's the day to make your choice and to follow me. And just as somebody did earlier, 10 minutes ago, somebody else did a couple of hours ago right here. It's still not too late for you. At the end of the morning, we would love to talk to you to help you. If your, your heart is thumping right now and you realize, that's me, then please talk to us and we'll help you to make that choice. Let's notice that Jesus made disciples in just the same way as the other rabbis did at his time. Let me explain this to you. This, I'm drawing here on material from Rabbi Michael Cohen with Gordon MacDonald. The rabbis had groups of followers, as Jesus did. They were dedicated learners, as Jesus was calling his disciples to be. And they said to people, follow me, and they literally followed them, became like a travelling school. They, they would travel around with the rabbi, learning from him uh, all the time. And the pattern of their, uh, of their instruction was fourfold. First of all, there was literally instruction, i.e., you sit and listen, or stand, and you listen to me, and I will tell you, I will teach you. And that's Jesus, of course, engaged with that. But what they also did as an integral part of it was to then immediately have group discussions. And the rabbi would leave the learners on their own. He would withdraw from them and leave them to discuss what he'd been teaching. And we can see in the Gospels the way the disciples discuss things together. Secondly, that after instruction, there was imitation. In other words, it was the learners were expected to try to be like the rabbi. That was what they would do. And as Rabbi Michael Green says, a student's greatest aspiration was to become so much like the rabbi that people would see no difference between them and him. Isn't that our aspiration to be more and more like Jesus? The third part of their teaching was examination. What that meant was they were given assignments to do. The rabbi would give the learners things to do, go and teach a group of people something or go and do something. And we see Jesus doing exactly the same, don't we? He's sending people out two by two. He sent them out on assignments, come back, tell me how you got on. Jesus, at each, in each aspect, is copying and fulfilling the very same ways that the rabbis of his time taught. And then fourthly, there was an integral expectation of multiplication. Um, 
Rabbi Cohen again says this, speaking of the great commission of Jesus, that that is what any rabbi would have said to his students. You've been my disciples, now go and recruit your own. And so when Jesus says to the disciples, I'm going away now, but it's going to be better for you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And after I've gone, you go to all nations and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've taught you. It It was completely consistent with the way that the rabbis taught their disciples. And Jesus was doing just the same. Now, here we go. The thing is this, that just as... The rabbis made their disciples in a context of community. So it's not coincidence that Jesus did the same. That was his method. So they traveled as a group, that Jesus with the disciples. We see them walking a lot, sometimes going in boats. We see them eating together a lot. We see them going to parties. If you read all the Gospels, you can see that. We see them being taught as a group. We see them discussing things as a group. We see them arguing in the group. You can see that in the Gospels as well. We see them being corrected in the group. We see them growing as a group. They were a very close-knit bunch of learners, of followers of Jesus, of disciples. These were not motorway Christians who kept their distance. It's the complete opposite. This is a walking group of people walking through life together, discussing, sharing, learning, being corrected, moving on, going on assignments, being together, knowing one another's hearts, seeing one another's lives knowing each other and learning and growing together. It was a very mixed group of people, but they were also very close, very committed, and very fruitful. And isn't that what we want to be? Of course it is. Of course it is. They're all aiming to become more and more like Jesus. Can't get the pages apart. Really can't get the pages. Oh, there we go. If I don't stick to the notes, I'll go way over time. So you want me to stick to the notes. Now, Jesus told his disciples to go and make disciples. Let me read to you the actual verses recorded in Scripture. Jesus came and told his disciples, this is after his, his death and resurrection, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. What do you think Jesus was expecting it to look like? When his disciples were carrying out his instruction to go and make disciples, what was, it, was it, what was he expecting it would look like? I'd suggest to you he was not expecting it would be motorway Christianity, keep your distance. He was not expecting you in your small corner and I in mine type of Christianity. He was expecting 
close-knit community making disciples in real relationship together. That was the model. That's what he'd shown them. That's what he expected them to go and do the same. And how long was this plan to go on for? Jesus said, until I come back. Until the end of the age. We haven't got there yet. And so it still applies. It's still the standing instructions for the people of God. To be making disciples in community. Jesus is calling us into community. It may be that you'll feel like I'm already in community to some degree. Then my encouragement to you is go further in. Or it may be that you're recognizing "Mm, maybe I'm not really in community. Then my encouragement to you is to step in. Can we have the next slide, please? See, Jesus called people out of the crowd into discipleship, into community of disciples. He said, let's get in the boat, let's go across the lake. And he's calling you today, if you feel like, actually, I'm part of the crowd. I don't have close-knit, real, open relationship and friendship and support and encouragement with others in spiritual community then he's calling you not to stay in the crowd, but to step into the community of God's people and to take steps to do that. The journey begins with the decision to follow Jesus, and we've spoken about that. But you know, the New Testament church knew that they were called to be a community. The book of Acts describes it, But more importantly and significantly for us is that the epistles, the rest of the New Testament, prescribes it. There is repeated instruction and teaching to be a community rather than separate individuals. There are multiple, I think it's 39, one another instructions in the New Testament. Did you know that? And they include things like this. And all of them assume community, assume relationship, assume openness and love between people. The first one, the most obvious, is love one another. That comes many times in the New Testament. To make that real, there must be relationship. Don't provoke one another. Well, you have to be fairly close to somebody to provoke them. So don't provoke them. It assumes proximity. Admonish one another. Oh, that's a bit of a challenging one, isn't it? It reminded me of when I, a while back now, was talking with a good friend of mine called Brian, Brian Bird, who sadly died a few years ago, and his widow's given me permission to tell this story. He was a good friend of mine, really good friend. I was talking to him one day and said, Brian, I'm just finding my devotional life is difficult. I'm just just not doing very well at the moment. And he turned to me with a big grin on his face and says, Pete, for you, that's a sackable offence. I thought, oh yeah, it is. I better sort myself out. That was an admonishment in season. It was a faithful wound of a friend who was courageous enough to tell me how it was. We need that at times, don't we? We need people to point things out to us at times. And it's good for us. It really is. It's helpful. Scripture says, forgive one another. 
Well, if there's a need to forgive, that must be we've been close enough to each other to, for something to go wrong and for some kind of aggro to happen. That's why we need to forgive. Scripture says, agree wholeheartedly with one another. Wow, that's Philippians 2. That's strong, isn't it? That, you know, you've got to be close to achieve that. Serve one another in love, Galatians 5. Live in peace with each other, 1 Thessalonians 5. Let us not neglect our meeting together. I just speak to you who are watching online. If you can be present physically, please do. Because it's very different being in the room. As human beings, we're designed for relationship, which involves proximity, being together, feeling the atmosphere, the hug of another, the prayer of another, the laying on of hands is a, is a biblical principle. And we can't do that when we're not in all those things in the same room. So do come, be in the room if you can. Encourage one another. There are so many of these one another's in the New Testament. Jesus called us out of the crowd and into community. And there are three common errors I want to refer to quickly. The first is this, to mistake connectivity for community. Online community is actually a contradiction. I've said enough about that already this morning. Secondly, mistaking congregation for community. Can we have the next slide, please? You see, Jesus calls us not to be in the crowd, not to stay there, but to come into community. And in Many Western churches particularly, including ours, we have this kind of bit in between that forms the sandwich, which is the congregation, by which I mean the Sunday meeting. And if we're not careful, we can start to think that if we're part of the Sunday meeting, we're part of the community. But they're very, very different because there are such inevitable limitations on Intimacy on relationship, on openness and so forth in a Sunday morning context. It's, it's, there should be limitations. It's, this is a public arena. But that's not community. There's something such as the disciples enjoyed with Jesus which is in it, and the engagement of that that is much deeper, which is what he calls us to. So if you're currently kind of stuck in the congregation but not part of the community with real engaged relationships, then I'm encouraging you and provoking you really today to say, okay, this needs to change. If we're going to live our Christian life according to the pattern of Jesus, then one of the things that means is getting closer to others. Now, as a community church, our main expression of that, it's not the only possible way, but our main expression of that is in our community groups. So if you're not in a community group at the moment, then I'd really encourage you, there'll be lots of opportunities given to you over the next few weeks to change that and to become part of a group. Andrew and I have been between groups for a little while and we've just taken steps this week to join group again because we want to make sure that we're living by example and not just telling you what to do. It's so easy to drift. And the last three years, I've seen a huge amount of drift. And actually God's calling us back to re-establish community where we've lost it or to come into it if we've never been in it at all. Thirdly, don't mistake chemistry for community, by which I mean you can have a really good relationship with somebody. I spoke to my best man, lifelong friend on the phone a few weeks ago, and um, there's immediate chemistry, but he's not part of my community. He lives down on the south coast. 
So he's not in my life in the way that Jesus wants us to be in each other's lives. Being part of a group is irreplaceable, and I strongly commend it to you. Four common reasons, which all I've got time to do, is list. Four common reasons for avoiding community, just in case you kind of identify with any of these. Number one, I prefer to do my own thing. You could call that individualism. Um, let's encourage you, make the decision to, to, to live it Jesus' way. Secondly, I haven't got the energy, inertia. Do you know what? Spiritual community is energising. And so part of the very antidote to a lack of energy, to inertia, is to get into spiritual community. It's Jesus' way. I've been disappointed before. Discovered that people weren't perfect. Idealism, if you like. Let's go again. It's Jesus' way. Fourthly, I'm afraid of being known. Perhaps you could call that intimidation. Let me encourage you to be courageous. It is so beneficial and good for our souls and fruitful in our lives when we take our courage and step forward. The more open we are, the more we grow. The best groups are the most honest groups. And we're here to accept and support and encourage one another and the group leaders will be ensuring that that's the way it is. Let's pray together, shall we, as we finish. Stewards, if you could start to uh, bring round the bread and wine, please, um, so they can give that to you just while you're reflecting for a moment. Jesus calls us into community. He's calling us to be close, not to be keep-your-distance Christians. And it may be this morning that your decision is the needful, the needful decision for you is to come to Jesus and speak to Gareth or Nicola or myself or somebody else who's in the church that you know immediately at the end today if that's something that you'd like to do. For some, he's calling us to step out of the crowd to make the decision that we're going to step out of the crowd and not remain in the background, but rather to step into community. And for others who are already, you'd say, yeah, I am part of the community. Maybe God's challenging you, provoking you to, to take it a few steps further, to go that much deeper, to be that much more open and honest with those that you trust. Whilst the bread and wine is still coming, let me pray over us, and then I'm going to release you to take the bread and wine. Jesus, we want to thank you that your way is the best way. That you call us to not only love you and know you, but also to know and love one another. I thank you that you actually said that it's in that way would other people know who you are, that they see love amongst your people. By this will all men know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. That's how the world will know that you sent me. Holy Spirit, come and rest on us now in these moments. Write on our hearts what you're saying. Take away anything that was just me and let us retain everything that is simply you as you speak to us and help us 
because we want to become more like you. And we commit each other to you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What I'd like us to do as we finish is for you to take a couple of moments with two or three other people. Um, so not just twos, but deliberately to so make it threes or fours. And uh, give a little opportunity to share if there's something particular that uh, has struck you, that way God might be stirring in your heart as a result of this morning, then to share that, and then simply to pray for one another and uh, to share bread and wine together as an expression of community. It's, of course, a spiritual community. Obviously, it's in a limited way on a, on a Sunday morning, but it's still valid and still true and still really, really, really positive and helpful thing to do. So God bless you. Thank you.